You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. When we recognize that all things arise within our awareness, we recognize the mind of God. When we fully recognize that everything, everything has always arisen in this very awareness, we can come to this recognition that all things arise within that which is truly us. And that which is truly us is infinite. It's expansive. And anything that is contracted can be seen. Anything that is contracted can be seen. So we begin to fall back into this seer. We begin to give the seer of experience our energy. And we recognize that our energy is nothing other than attention. <clears throat> attention itself allows all of this to unfold effortlessly. So we can always check in with our attention. How much attention are we paying to the way that our life is unfolding? How much attention are we paying to the immediacy of experience? How much attention are we paying to this awareness? As this awareness becomes more and more prevalent in our attention, we start to see this very interesting delineation between awareness and the awareness of awareness. And the awareness of awareness is what we can call our consciousness. And that's where the self is. That's where the, the small self can actually operate in the space of consciousness because it's our consciousness. It's our awareness of awareness. But at this stage, it's kind of tricky because the small self, while it can function in consciousness, the small self has no place to go in awareness itself because awareness perceives it. Now this can get pretty mind-numbing, which is, I guess, kind of the point in much of our practice. You know, and it's not to get hyper-intellectual, because this really isn't about being intellectual. This is about being deeply experiential. And experiential meeting of this work is really when we meet up with great pointers 
to the unmanifest, to spirit, to the I amness of being. Sometimes we sit in the presence of someone who's uh, who can really articulate the uh, infinite well, and they'll say something, and it's like, oh man, what the hell was that? I have no idea what they just said, but you know, it can kind of resonate with us, and it doesn't have to necessarily be with the spiritual teacher. It can be with anybody. Anybody can really wear this mantle. We recognize our own most uncontracted awareness through their work, through their being. And for us to actually step into this role requires nothing other than stillness and attention. So, we talk about the stage play uh, that we can watch, that we can give our attention to, that we can witness or see this play happen on the stage of mind. And while there is an ineffable quality to being in the audience of this stage play, it doesn't mean that what's going on on stage is false. It's just that from the broader context, from the awakened context, from the enlightened view, whatever you want to call that, everything that goes on on the stage becomes less and less and less seductive. We find ourselves getting less and less and less resistant. Less and less and less negativity circulates through the world because of us. So again, it's not that the stage is false, the stage play is false, or that the ego is false. It's that the ego and the stage play are what we typically are addicted to. It is our habitual inertia. It is our personal experience, and we cling to this. If we can let go of this and still consciously participate in the world, we are actualizing awakening. We are Buddha. We can look at this as a division between two truths. Nagarjuna was big into talking about this. We can look at the world, in other words, as a conventional or normal or circumstantial reality, day-to-day -day world. And then the other truth, as we begin sitting still and start recognizing that space between our thoughts, start actually feeling, my goodness, I'm part of this audience. I am the seer of my experience, not the experience itself. The universe itself arises within this awareness. Therefore, all things arise within me. I am all things. I am infinite. That turn takes us into what we call the 
unmanifest, the ultimate, the absolute view. So we have the absolute or ultimate over here, and then we have the contracted or conventional on this side. These two truths are what we function with as human beings day to day, all the time, yet usually we pay our closest attention to what's going on in the conventional truth, what's going on in the normal real world, the world of name and form. We work very hard in this world of name and form, like we uh, do here on uh, Wednesday nights, to meet up with the other truth. And sooner or later, what happens is that other truth starts showing itself in our world, and then we become kind of these really adept, sometimes not so adept, surfers between these two realities, between the contracted and the expansive. We catch ourselves up. Oh, that's pretty contracted. That recognition was expansive. So it's almost as if our practice begins to unfold with the same rhythm as our breath. Conventional, ultimate. Conventional, ultimate. It's going this, this back and forth. And this stage of practice is very exciting, but it can also be exhausting, especially if ego's really trying to hang on. It's almost as if it's water skiing without a water ski, yet the boat is going too slow for you to get up on bare feet. I have no idea where that metaphor came from, but just <laughs> stick with me on that. <laughs> it's like you're getting dragged around, okay? There's a fluidity to it, but at the same time, it can be very, very difficult. What the hell am I doing? So to give some some names to it. If we look at the conventional world, we can look at that as once again the manifest world. We sometimes use that word. World. We sometimes use that word. We can look at the ultimate perspective as being unmanifest. The conventional has a separate perspective. I'm in here. Everything else is out there. There's a unified one from the ultimate view. No separation. We can look at the stage as being the normal, conventional reality, and the audience as being the expansive, ultimate reality. We can look at the ego as being conventional. We can look at what we call the witness or the seer as being ultimate. Mind as being conventional. And that space between thoughts, no mind in the ultimate. Movement occurs only in the conventional space. Stillness is all there ever is in the ultimate. So our practice is what goes right between these two truths. Our practice is actually meeting both in every moment as best we can. And with that practice, what happens is they soon start to merge. So the conventional and ultimate are together in everything that we do.
when that happens, the small things in life don't rule us. We begin not to sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. As our Arinda neighbor wrote in that great book, we begin not to become so enamored of the things that move. We begin to hear the silence not only when things are quiet, but also when things are loud. And we orient ourselves from that space. We begin not to suffer as much. And even the suffering that we do endure somehow doesn't stick. And this is not because we are less engaged. It's because we are more engaged. We are more intimate with experience. We may feel the pain a little more deeply. We may feel the laughter come from a deeper place. It's more. But the stickiness of it is less. So our practice really is fusing these two truths. Fusing the conventional and the ultimate. And the fusion occurs the more we consciously embody and embrace stillness. In the systematic stilling of that which moves, practicing this systematic stilling of that which moves, our body-mind, stilling the body-mind, allows for this awareness into which all things arise. It allows that awareness to become this point of centration for our entire existence. And this awareness is infinitely broad. It's infinitely beyond good and bad, right and wrong. It's infinitely beyond any type of circumstantial reality. It's all about ultimate. Coming from there means that we once again have more tools. It means that we once again can respond appropriately no matter what happens, no matter what kind of hurricane hits. We're reminded with massive tragedy what it means to be human, what it means to be a participatory member of all of humanity. We see others' pain as our own, and we are responsible. We are responsible for engaging. And we offer no excuses. We engage. We engage this world with a kind and open heart, one that embraces one that loves, and one that doesn't harm. Not only the world, but ourselves as well. And that orientation of self and other 
arising equally within our awareness allows for spirit to inform our activity consciously. And that conscious influx of spirit into our activity is compassion. And it goes out and it comes in. The same rhythm as our breath, the same rhythm as our tilt between ultimate and conventional spaces, truths. As we shop in the grocery store, as we eat our pizza, as we buy our beer. <coughs> but we can consciously see the gifts that we have to give. We can consciously see that we have a purpose, and that is to allow this entire universe to unfold through us, as us, in every single moment for all beings. And when we do that, there is only a giant kiss to be had by all. Just a quick commentary before the questions start. One of the most beautiful gifts any of us can ever give another human is to really see them. Really see them, you know. And I always love kind of walking through the room and listening to you guys speak. There's a level of intimacy that can kind of come from this. It's so beautiful. And it's, it's not attached. It's just human to human. That'd be nice if we could do that with the people that cut us off. We're cutting line. <laughs> we can. We can. Yeah. Anyway, so what came up? I'd love to, if there were any, any questions or anything that came up, I'd love to address in the next few minutes. Well, it was, <coughs> excuse me, it was helpful because um, one of the things that I commented on was that I find that I don't really understand what you're talking about a lot of the time. Yeah. Sorry about <laughs> <And> that. <laughs> well, you know, and I consider myself pretty capable of thinking things through fairly well. But I also was ended up following that up with knowing that I'm very often in my mind in my practice and you recommended a book to me before I went on vacation that, and it talks about being in the now and getting rid of the mind. And he oh, said, not getting, not rid. getting rid of the mind. No, 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 but <laughs> Observing where, it. Where the mind is in this process, yes. Right, an observed mind right. is not an attached mind. Obviously I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but any, anyway, any comments that you would have on that would be... Yeah, keep observing your mind, Carla. <laughs> I think that uh, uh, having our mind in our practice 
for it to be, and this, by the way, is a really common disease, especially among people who are really smart and very successful. It's, uh, you know, everything has been identified through, with, and about their mind. So how could that possibly not be incorporated into this mix? Well, it is incorporated into this mix because usually it's mind that gets us here. Okay, mind gets us here. The curiosity, the want, the desire, the craving for awakening, enlightenment, all that's mind. Blessings to the mind because it gets us often on the path, right? It, it, it interprets intensity as pain. It wants out of the pain. So, you know, that's, that's our fuel in many respects. But as the practice deepens, the words that go past mind start to hit us in a different way. They start to hit us in a different way and it becomes not an intellectual experience, but not, not an intellectual experience. It becomes not a physical experience, but not, not a physical. It becomes this thread, this floss of a high wire that the ego tries to, tries to negotiate and boom it falls and realizes it's never going to hit the ground in fact it's not an ego at all it is all 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 and that freedom to fall and never hit the ground that liberation awaits us in the now in the space between our thoughts and we get to that space by observing those thoughts. An observed mind is an unattached, I mean, that is non-attachment. Be that observer. And then when you get really good at observing your experience, just observing it, huh, wow, there's a little bit of resistance, or there's a little bit of joy, or there's a little bit of passion, or there's a little bit of desire, or there's a little, whatever it is, whatever it is. As you begin to do that, then observe the observer, and then we'll talk. Sure. <laughs> Speaking of observing observers, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming that that goes along with, uh, I get a little confused with awareness and awareness of awareness, mm -hmm. which I'm gathering, I'm using the word, is consciousness. Awareness of awareness, I've, I've kind of said is consciousness. Yeah, yeah. and I, it seems to make sense to me that way. My question is, when either in meditation or in your daily life, what is preferable, being purely aware or being aware of your awareness as well? Well, first, let me start by asking who's asking the question. I just assume not say I am. Well, that would be preferable. It would. <laughs> okay. <laughs> think, think about not thinking, okay? Well, in meditation, I'm not thinking. Who's not? Well, indeed. See? Now, you and I can have this game. Right. We could play this for the next half hour and bore everybody in this room 
and certainly everybody listening <laughs> to the podcast, Indeed. you know, essentially this work is about you right. observing the you. Right, right. And that observer, okay, is without preference. And it also doesn't mean that what is being observed is negated. Right. That's a horrific error. We tend to want to kill the ego. Sure. You know, that's not it. It's that we observe our experience so totally, even while we're in it, that the observer, okay, that the awareness right. and the awareness of awareness merge and flow effortlessly and freely as okay. a non-attached expression of being. So, who is it that's asking? Well, I am asking. It's hard for me to articulate. Hard for who? Hard for me to articulate. There's difficulty. Right. If you take the me and the I out yeah, of the question, out. watch what happens. Right. Right. That is awareness. Do you understand? Some pure awareness. Yeah, because suddenly it's not a personalized version of it's right. Right. It's <gasps> there's wonder. There's doubt. There's Well, I relate it to I do a lot of hiking. Yeah. Sometimes I get lost and become one with what is occurring. Mm -hmm. But I'm not aware of it. I'm aware of what is, but I'm not aware of my awareness of what is. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, is that what I'm trying to strive for? Or is it more stepping back and being constantly aware of that awareness? That yes, that. That. Be aware okay. of the awareness. That's the key. Be, because then what you're starting to do is literally witness your life. Okay, so it's the witness yeah. that is the key. It's the observer. The seer, the observer, right, the witness, right. spirit, okay. the amness. Right. I am, uh, forget right. the I, forget right. the whatever the else, the amness. Right. That's this okay. witnessing awareness. That in you which is hearing so my voice. for it. Yeah. 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 That in you which sees the lights in this room and the people right. in it. That in you which hears me. Right now. Right now. Right now. That's awareness. That's never, ever altered or changed since you were, you know. Right. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> before the Big Bang. Right, right. Yeah. It's always been there. It's always been there. Right. So, relax there. And then, play dodgeball. Yes. Or hike. Or whatever. Or whatever. Right. With a full awareness. Uh, for me, it seems that the awareness arises within the mind, mm. and it gets very confusing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the limited view trying to be absolute. That's the ego trying to wear the robe. That's the because really, Paul, what's going on as you witness your experience, as you witness your experience, you're witnessing mind. Okay. You can witness your thoughts, can't you? It happens. <laughs> <laughs> you can witness right now what it, the feeling that you have in your belly. 
Can you witness the feeling that you have in your hands, that microphone? Yes. Can you witness the f sensation or the interpreting of sound coming in your ears from my voice? Yes. Right. Can you witness the seeing? So it all boils down to pay attention. There you go, pal. Pay attention. And when you pay real close attention, when you relax there in that attentive awareness, participate. Participate from the still orientation. You mentioned earlier about um, every, that everybody's pain is our pain. So how do we, how's that? Um, from, the from the ultimate perspective, yeah. Right. So how is that expressed? How do, how do I express that or how do I um, deal with that? There's this uh, saying, I wish I could remember the sutra, but I'm not very well schooled anymore. <laughs> uh, but that we are literally the regarders of the cries of the world. And I asked, I asked my teacher this uh, very same question um, when I was looking at the, the face of human tragedy some years back, and I, w I was really feeling full of resistance as I approached him. And I said, you know what, it's like you're asking me, you know, this whole, I, uh, drinking my, my green tea, I stopped the war. I thought, yeah, what a load of crap that is. If we don't, engage in the world, ready to fight for peace, we're all going to be screwed. And as I said it, I'm like, well, okay, now there's a problem. Yeah. Ready to kill for peace, you know? Okay, that's a, that's a problem. And, of course, he just smiled. I said, well, what do we do with all the pain and all the blood? And he did this, just this visual. He cupped his hands behind his ears and closed his eyes. And it made perfect sense. It was like, oh, I receive it. And then I act. I don't shut it off. I don't fight to end it. I receive it and then act. And in this capacity, we are the embodiment of an appropriate response. We come from a still body-mind. We come from awakening. We come from the observer or the witness and participate fully in this world as an agent of constructive, positive, conscious change. And as we do that, we also simultaneously get changed constructively, positively, and consciously by the world. So that's, that's why I advocate participation. Really, I advocate participation. There's some great groups, Buddhist groups, uh, uh, that, that are doing this. You, you know, the, the misconception I feel is that in, <coughs> pardon me, Buddhism, we just sit still and it, that's, it's over. No, we're always still. We're just consciously recognizing it a couple times a day to make sure that it's still consciously orienting itself in our experience, and then we act, then we engage, then we participate with a big fat kiss. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>